0: Good morning. Nice to see you guys. So this last week, I went to go get a prescription refill at a pharmacy, and it felt crazy, because pharmacy, for whatever reason, feels that way a lot of the times. There's a bunch of people flaring around, filling hundreds of prescriptions while people wait in lines. And no one ever really feels super happy in that moment, right? And so I'm standing in this line, and this gentleman's standing in front of me, and I can tell that he is frustrated. I can't see his face, but I can just hear. You know when you hear the sound like someone's leaking, where they're just like, you just keep hearing like the, I'm sorry if I spit all over you, you keep hearing all of these things and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to go well. He's frustrated. He gets up to the the front and apparently he needs a refill for an acid reflux medication. And the lady looks at him who works at at the pharmacy and she says, I'm sorry, uh, you're a week early and we cannot refill this prescription yet. Like your insurance won't allow us to do that right now. And he says, so you'll have to come back in a week. And he says, but I'm here right now and I don't wanna come back in another week. And she goes, I know, I hear you. And I, I imagine that could be a little frustrating, but she did a really good job. She's like, but uh, that we're in, this isn't something that I can change. Uh, your insurance will not pay for this. Uh, like, If it's before the allotted time for us to refill it, I can promise you as a pharmacy, we will refill it as soon as we are able. And then he steps forward and he grabs the counter with both hands, right? Where you're like, oh, it's not gonna go good. Everybody starts backing up, you know, like that kind of, a mo- that kind of moment. And he starts yelling at the whole pharmacy about, do you realize how incompetent and incapable you all are? And then he looks around and the girl just stands there. She's standing in front of him, this woman, like just, and she doesn't do anything, she doesn't overreact, she does a great job you know, in this. And then he looks right at her and he goes, are you dumb or something? Is something the matter, like is something wrong with you? And then he says, I am the customer, and I am standing here in your store, in your pharmacy, and I want my prescription, so go refill my prescription now! Screams. At this point, we're all like, we don't know him. Like, we've not, you know, like, this is a lot. And he screams and yells this whole thing. And then she looks at him, because this escalated really quickly. She looks at him and she responds back to him. She goes, sir, I can see that you're really frustrated, but I can promise you it's going to be okay. If you reach out and you contact your insurance or you reach out and you contact your doctor or somebody, we will be able to fill this. But until then, the soonest we can fill it, I promise we'll fill it right then. The moment we're allowed to, we'd love to fill this like for you. And he screams again. And this time, the thing he said, I thought was the most illuminating of the entire conversation was I had been I knew what I I was supposed to talk about today, and I kept trying to think, how do I illustrate this? Where's the piece that, like, helps me do this? And I couldn't find the right story. And then I was at a pharmacy, and I was like, that's it right there. Because here's what he said, man. He goes, it's not okay. And then he looks, and he goes, nothing is okay right now. Screams really loud. And he goes, and I just need you to get my prescription so that I can make things a little bit better and just go home. And what he's not talking about is he has a really bad case of acid reflux that's going so crazy right now that if he doesn't get a pill, he's going to die. Like, that's not what this is. What he's articulating that was so illuminating is he has this sense, this feeling that in this world that he lives in, in his life right now, none of this stuff is going well. None of this is okay. And it's so frustrating and he doesn't know what to do with it. And he's so angry that it's just boiling over at a person working at a pharmacy who really has no ability to help or do anything about that at this particular moment. She had no idea the level of expectation expectations and desires that were placed on her to not blow this man's life up at any given point in time. And I think if I step back and I look at this particular situation, there's this sense that some people around us, maybe you have this, in terms of where are we right now. There's just this idea that things are bad, or things aren't going well, and things aren't okay, and nothing seems to be okay, and things seem crazy around us, and there's this sense of, like, and somebody needs to make it better, like an insurance company needs to to not care about those things, and the pharmacist should just push it through, and the doctor should call in another prescription, because there are these things that are, like, institutional that we trust, and they're just not working, and I don't trust them, and I'm so angry, and I don't know what to do about it, and it just boils over all around when I look around me and I feel this. And you might look and you're like, well, I mean, yeah, that's just one guy at a pharmacy. But if you're honest, I think if you just take a moment to think about your own life, your own interactions, whether it's you or people that you've been interacting with. I mean, have you found yourself in a moment like this where a conversation recently, where you're like, oh, this isn't about what we're talking about right now. The level of energy that just happened in this conversation was way beyond this topic. There's a lot going on here. Have you found yourself... Whether you realize it or not, starting to just use phrases and have this view of the world where you're like, it's all terrible, or everything's crazy, or the world just keeps getting worse. And and whether it's true or not, you just have this sentiment, this feeling that that's that's how it feels like it's happening. And you find yourself getting so frustrated about all of this that it's just always there, like low-grade frustration underneath the surface, surface, because it feels like somebody should fix this, or somebody should take care of this, and it's somebody's job, and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Experiencing us being less patient with one another, with less tolerance? Does it feel like life is often full of problems, and because of the problems that exist in the world around us, you're like, it, who's, who's to blame for this? Because someone needs to take responsibility right now, because I'm frustrated by it. And then let me ask this last question. And to be really honest, this last question is, is central to the thing I want to explore with us today. It's this, do you feel like there are systems and things in this world that are supposed to help you? but for whatever reason, you feel like you can't fully trust them. Like they've either become broken or they've let you down somehow to the degree that they fall suspect. And now you look at things you care about and you don't know what to do. And there's a tension inside of you about all of this stuff. See, I think in all honesty, Go have a bunch of conversations with people, and what you'll find is this is where we are right now. And I'm not saying this is what is ultimately true. I'm just saying in terms of the human experience, this is like the collective expression, the collective feeling that, that is circling around at different moments here right now. It's not just the guy at the pharmacy. It's in our lives, around us. Maybe we don't react in quite the same ways, but it's there. And so I want to I acknowledge, I think that's where we are, but I want to ask the question, okay, how did we get here? Why is it like this? Like, why do we have some of these feelings and these sentiments? Like, what's happened along the way? Because this is a significant question to ask. We're in this series called How Did We Get Here? How We Got Here, where Glenn talked about last week. You can close your eyes and just blindly plow forward. That'll get you more lost and cause you to probably make a lot of mistakes and things along the way. Or occasionally you can pause and you can look around and you can go, okay, where are we and where did we, where have we been? You can look at history. You can look at the path behind you. And you can learn from that. You can take things in that allow you to make better decisions and have better understanding as we seek to move forward. And here's why this series matters and why it's important that with even this, that we ask this question, how do we get here in this place where trust is where it is and we struggle with this particular thing? It's important because for us specifically as a church, we're about to move into a new ministry year as July is going to come to a close pretty soon here and we're going to move into August. And guys, I think that there are beautiful things in store for this church, for us as a local body of Christ. And I think God wants to do a tremendous amount of good through us and love us and love the world around us in extraordinary ways. And so I think there's an opportunity, even with right where we are for a church like us, and I hope we come to see that uh, through the course of this morning. So let's unpack this. How did we get to this space where we are right now? Uh, I want you to, in order to do this, uh, and primarily focusing on this idea of how do we lose trust and why are we frustrated about this and what do we do? What's this look like? So, the second book in your Bibles is where we're going to spend some time today. It's the book of Exodus, way, way back in the Old Testament. Eventually, we're going to land in Exodus chapter 32. So if you want to look for it, you can hang out there. Exodus is a really interesting book. I love the book of Exodus. It details this moment in human history where where God looks at the Jewish people and he says, I want to liberate you out from under the hand of the Egyptians because they were the slave labor workforce for Egypt. And he essentially says, I want to take you away from this kind of like oppressive existence, and I want to liberate you into freedom, and I want to take you towards a beautiful land that I have promised for you. Basically, I want to take you out of this life and and be with you, go with you, and move you towards a better life, a better place where you can set up roots, right, to call your home. And to do this, he uses a man named Moses, who's going to be the leader of the people. He's a prophet. He speaks with God. God directs him. And he's like, okay, Moses, go do this. Moses is going to lead the people. So Moses goes into Egypt. And through a series of circumstances, it's another sermon for another time. Uh, Pharaoh, prominent, powerful ruler in Egypt, he lets his slave labor, slave labor workforce go reluctantly. And for the first time in many, many, many years, the entire Hebrew nation walks out of Egypt and makes their way into the wilderness where they're supposed to follow Moses to get to this land that they have never been to and have no idea where this thing is or anything else. And it becomes this journey of, we're going to somewhere better than where we just were. And God's going to lead them there. They know this thing. But Moses is the guy who talks to God, like not necessarily the people. So their trust and the person that they're mad at or happy with or whatever, their leader is Moses. And Moses goes about trying to lead them on this very arduous, difficult journey where sometimes they're hungry and sometimes they're thirsty. And inevitably, they look to their leader and they say things like this in Exodus chapter 14, beginning at verse 11. And this is just one example. They do this a bunch they, the people said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? He's probably like, I liberated you from slavery and tried to lead you towards something like that's what I did. But they say, what have you done to us? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Isn't this what we told you, Moses? Leave us alone that we may just serve the Egyptians. For it would've been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. As they begin to go, and life begins to get very uncertain, and the, the journey in front of them begins to get very difficult, it becomes this ebb and flow moment where they, begin, where they like gain trust and lose trust with the very person leading them. Did you bring us out here to die, or were you leaving us behind? This particular situation, Pharaoh changed his mind, chasing him after them, so they're pretty scared. But this isn't the only moment. They do this again. And again, and again, over and over and over again. As you just see, you are supposed to take us somewhere better than where we are right now, and I'm starting to struggle with my ability to trust you. And it starts to get a little difficult. And then they arrive at this place called Mount Sinai. It's a really key, significant place. They travel through the wilderness, land at the base of this mountain, more or less, set up camp, and they stay there for a very long time. And what becomes very significant here is this becomes the moment where God's essentially going to talk to the people, and, and he's going to tell them this is, you know, established relationship and all this stuff. The people look at Moses and they say he's really scary and you seem cool talking to him. You lead us. You go and you tell him what you're, you let him tell you what he wants us to do. You come back down from that mountain, which we don't want to go up and talk to God or do any of this thing. And you just tell us what to do. Essentially, he's looking at this. This is the significant moment. They go, we've been wandering through the wilderness. We haven't known what to go, where to go. We don't know where the good place is. We don't know how, like how to even get there. Go tell us the plan. Go tell us what God wants, how to live that, where to go, what to do, so that we can finally have the kind of certainty and security so that we can walk forward knowing that life is actually going to get better because we have been struggling to trust this whole thing. And so Moses goes up the mountain, and he's gone a long time. And so the Israelites all gather and wait. And then Moses is just up the mountain. He's gone a long time. So the Israelites just gather and they wait And they wait, and they wait, and they start to get scared or frustrated, or maybe he's dead up there, or maybe he's never coming back, or maybe he abandoned us, or whatever fears or insecurities or things would have crept into their heads and hearts until we arrive at Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together, or gathered themselves together to Aaron, who's Moses' brother, and said to him, up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I love that language. As for this Moses, like they hadn't been following him around forever. You know, that guy, that one that's just up there on the mountain, lost someplace. As for this Moses who just didn't come back. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard, transla- English Standard Version, you know, that translation of the Bible this morning. I imagine many of you have NIVs. If you are reading from the ESV, it reads, they saw that Moses had delayed. If you're reading from the NIV, New International Version, uh, what it will say is, and Moses was a long time in coming, or something like that. And, and when you read that, all you think of is like, he just took too long right he delayed too much he took too long and really this is an issue with patience and what we should be teaching here is like guys just be more patient that's what that's the lesson but here's the thing this Hebrew word that gets translated there is the word delayed half of the time in the old testament when it's used it's translated as delayed the other half of the time it's translated as ashamed isn't that weird because we would look and we go, I don't think those words mean the same thing. Like, I don't even think they're very close. Here's what, it, here's what it's getting at. Here's what that word is conveying. It's when somebody has disappointed you or taken too long or something has not happened to the degree that you have now felt abandoned or frustrated by them. It's like they have failed you. So it's not just like, and they, you know, they took too long. It's this idea that Moses has now shifted in the minds of the people from the leader whom we trust to where did he go and why did he leave us here and he's been on the mountain too long, he has failed us. I don't think I can trust him anymore. Aaron, come here, stand in his stead. Aaron, come here, you do the job now. You're his brother, you're the guy, you can lead us, right? You're, you know what's going on get up. They, don't, they boss Aaron around. There's not like a kind ask in this moment, like, hey, you seem like a great leader. Thoughts? Like, they're like, up, get up and do this for us. You, we need something to stand in Moses' place. He's failed us. I can't trust this the same way anymore. And their expectation turns to fear, right? He's failed us. I can't trust him. So that's the Exodus story. There's a parallel here, even in, in some of American history. I could go back 150 years, but that would bore you guys a ton, so I chose to go back about 70 uh, years total this morning, but really starting um, what 50 or so uh, in 1979 Gallup survey there's a 1979 Gallup who 's a major uh, surveying you know like organization, so to speak. They started this longitudinal survey they've conducted this thing year after year after year ever since the year 1979, and every year they paused to survey American confidence in the institu- like the major institutions that lead and guide us. And they have this as fourteen a set of like 14 criteria or something. And so here are some of the examples of that. One of those would be Congress. One of those would be the President of the United States. One of those would be the Supreme Court. One of those would be public schools. One of those would be law enforcement, big business, small business, 14 different metrics, so to speak, that they've surveyed of just looking at Americans' level of confidence in these social institutions. Uh, so to speak, and and they began this in 1979. Now, in 1979, when they first started this, in general, when surveyed, 48% of Americans stated that they had a great deal of trust in our major institutions. So, roughly half of Americans at that particular point in history, uh, in the year 1979, would say, yeah, in general, half of us have a great deal of confidence, great deal of trust is actually the literal word, in our institutions. And now, here we are, right? All the way up to the year 2022, that number has fallen all the way to 27%, which is a significant statistical decline when all of those things are averaged out Together Now, there's some things that are actually making that average a little bit skewed because there's a couple of things that have retained a great deal of trust over time. Number one is small business. It's done very, very well. And number two is actually law enforcement. That's also done very, very well. Even with controversies and things in the last few years, if you look statistically with Americans, it still rates high uh, on this particular thing. The other things have become quite tumultuous in terms of their total decline. The thing that I want to illuminate here is that for a very long time what we have been seeing in American culture is this general sense of decline in trust in our major institutions that gets statistically verified year by year by year as we watch this thing escalate and go. This has been happening. Now some of us might be going, well of course it's that low right now. Have you seen the last couple of years? I bet it just tanked or something with with all the craziness and things that we've walked through. I would want us to pause. In 2016, most of us didn't even know how to spell the word pandemic, right? At that particular year. And in that year, 31% of Americans when surveyed said, "I I put a great deal of trust in these institutions, only 31%. So we've watched it actually begin to decline from the moment they started this survey. It's just, occasionally it's balanced out, but for the most part, it's just been a curve downward is moment by moment, time by time, year by year, more and more Americans are looking at things that they formerly trusted to anchor them, to lead them forward, and they find themselves saying, I don't think I trust that anymore, and at the very least, not in the same way, or not with the same level, and it's gotten more difficult. See, both the felt and experience senses, the thing I previously put my trust in, it hasn't delivered, or it failed me at some point and now my confidence isn't there. It's different now, it feels different, and we're reporting it. In general, Americans had a pretty favorable view of government. In the early 1900s to the mid-1900s when surveyed, this was there. And then two significant events, and there's been a whole host of events. It just, this would have been a very long message at some point if I'd covered all of them. So two really significant events that started to turn a corner, started to erode trust in some really key things here uh, that I'd love to point out. One was the Vietnam War, which happened from 1955 to 1975, 20 years I wanted you to know the timeline, because most people my age and under just think it was in a, like a squeezed together amount of time, it was a two decade long deal that we as a nation walk through. While war has always been a controversial issue, there's always been frustration over should we follow this, should we, like, should we be in this or not, or how it goes about, there's always been differing opinions on these things. Vietnam was something different for American culture. A whole young group of the boomer generation found themselves questioning and wondering not simply are we going about this the right way, but should we even be there, and is this for the right motives, and can we trust the people leading us and making the decisions and all these things. To the degree that for the first time in American history as soldiers got off the plane, Turning home with their trauma of their own to unpack and process because of things that they had just experienced. Oftentimes they were welcomed in the airports by groups of people shouting and yelling at them, spitting upon them and cursing at them because of frustration and protest towards the Vietnam War. Good, bad, wrong, or right, this happened. And what starts to happen is an entire generation of young people have a greater sense of distrust in the decisions being made by the people who govern them than previously in generations before. This erosion piece just begins to to happen there as more things begin to fall suspect. And what do we do with all of this? This begins all the way back in the 50s, guys, as this continues forward. To the degree that now here we are in 2022, and when surveyed, only 7% of Americans say they put a great deal of trust in Congress. Significant. Only 7% of Americans say they put a great deal of trust in Congress. The second major thing was the Watergate scandal. President Nixon and his administration, right? What ends up happening is he uses his administration to wiretap his opponents and, and listen in on them, and this whole scandal gets covered up. There's kidnapping involved in this particular thing. There are big payouts and all kinds of crazy stuff to the degree that this was really difficult. He's impeached on three counts. The writing's on the wall, and he knows that he's actually going to get booted out of office, and so he becomes the first president to resign in American history. And and what's interesting about all of this is for the first time, now in the early 1900s, leading up to the 1950s, if you had asked the American people, do you trust the president of the United States? They may not have voted for him. They may not have liked him. But the average group of people would have said, I believe that they're generally a good person trying to do good things on behalf of us. I just don't always agree with it. For the very first time in American history, people found themselves looking at the presidency and going, can I trust that? Does that person have our best interests? Do they... Can I trust them? Are they a person even of character? Should we be putting our faith here? Should we we lean into this? It all begins to fall suspect on some of these things. This is massive as generation by generation more questions get asked. Now, I know that a ton of other stuff has happened in history since that particular moment. These just become these huge events that start to shift the way we think about these things as over the years, it continues to cascade to where now here in the year 2022, when surveyed only 23% of Americans uh, report placing a great deal of trust in the president of the United States. Some of you guys may be going well It depends on what party you're a part of. No, it doesn't. They broke that out in the survey too. This is this is across party lines. This is just people, Americans in general. This is just this sense that things are eroding that this kind of trust and in the institutions that govern and guide us that there's a sense of eroding trust in our country with this particular thing. I'm going to wager some of you are sitting in here at this particular moment, you're going, but this is a church. Why are we talking about Congress and the president, Ryan? I I get it. Why aren't we talking about church? Well, let's do that. So, with church, in the 1980s, there was, and, and there's stuff before the 80s too, we could go there too, but at least even in the 1980s, public scandal came out with all kinds of televangelists in different moments with great abuses of money and power. One of the stories that I use for this at different moments is, I've, I've watched a video of a guy getting up in front of his very, very large congregation. He already owned two private jets and he needed a third one. He was asking his congregation to raise the money to pay for a third jet so that he could fly across the Atlantic in one full swoop. And the argument that he used was because he can't be in coach with all the regular people because that's just a tube of demons. And he said that to the people he was asking, you know, who fly coach, like me, and you, and all of us. And they bought him a plane. They paid for this, like, and, and uh, they raised money for a plane on this particular thing. And all of this gets really visible, and media covers all of these things, and American culture starts to go, is that what this is? And it just starts to fall suspect. Is, is religion really just all about money and power and gathering these things? Like, what, what is this really? And, and is the integrity and the ethic piece there? And what gets complicated, and this happens continually year after year, and every moment I'm surprised, and then every moment I also see the pattern, but I, there's prominent leaders who lots of people believe in and follow and are like a part of their congregations or church or messaging, whatever the thing is. And then you find out that there's some sort of sexual abuse or you find out that there's some sort of scandal or you find out that there's some other thing. And part of the integrity of what they were speaking to, they weren't actually living out consistently in their lives in a way that it all just blows up. Now, human beings are fallible and I understand that. I'm not saying we should put our faith in people, but what happens over the course of that time is as just a people, The church becomes something harder and harder to trust. Religion becomes something harder and harder to trust. Catholicism has had just a horrible time with uh, child abuse, child sexual abuse scandals, and trying to sort all of that out. And some of us will go, well, that's Catholics just in this last year. I mean, this is recent, just in this last year, 700 different names were released by the Southern Baptist Association over the course of the last 20 years of allegations of sexual abuse. And now there's full-scale investigations and all kinds of things, you guys. And these moments happen, and everybody finds themselves going, who do I trust? Can I trust this? Can I not? What do I do with any of this? And it just gets harder statistically, year by year. A whole host of things uh, have occurred in this. So there's the integrity side on the church's behalf, church and religion, right, on the integrity side. But then there's also this other piece where as these other social institutions decline and erode in trust, just statistically with the American people, as the church tethers themselves to those things, it declines along with them, just by nature of how that all works. And so this becomes very, very difficult. As of the year 2022, only 31% of people put a great deal of trust in the church and organized religion. So what you see over time, going back 70 years, and really we could go back just a, a little further, but where you just start to see this on full display, some big shifts and some big things over time, year by year, moment by moment, we as a people begin to lose trust in the institutions that formerly anchored us and guided us forward, and it becomes a little bit confusing, and it's hard to figure out where you place your trust, and it all feels a little bit suspect, and that is incredibly frustrating for people. It's not just the last two years, you guys, or the last three years, or whatever timeline you wanna put on it. All that's done is just pulled the curtain back on something that has been happening for a very long period of time. And here's why this matters. Because these are the things that when you trust them, when you anchor your lives to them, and when they're doing whatever it is that they're you know, are working well, they give you a sense of security that allows you to walk through this as you go through the complexity of your life right? So Russia can invade Ukraine, which is a terrible, awful situation and a terrible, awful thing. COVID can happen. Uh, The economy can falter. But if I have a genuine sense that the people who are governing us are good people, who have our best interests at heart, who want good things for us, even amidst the complexity of all those situations, I can have a sense of security as I walk through this particular moment. Whether that's justified or not, that's just how it works. In the same way, if I trust church... If I trust organized religion, then no matter what craziness is happening in this world, no matter what is is going on around me, then I can have the sense that I have a community who knows what's right, who's doing what's right, and who's good and secure because they have found the right thing. And I can anchor myself in that particular thing and know it's going to be okay because of that thing. And And yet what we see with both of these is that year by year, moment by moment, more and more Americans report that that's gotten harder to do. And this becomes very, very difficult. I want you to think back now to the Exodus story. Let's go back to where we just were. And I'm gonna kinda jump back and forth for just a moment here. See, the people had put their faith in Moses to take them out of the complexity they were in to lead them to a better place. And then Moses didn't deliver the goods. Now, I know that eventually he does. But you guys, we have this really crazy luxury of looking at a big storyline outside of like the timeline it was lived in over a massive amount of years and going, do you see how it worked out? They're actually in it right now. And Moses is up a mountain and he has been gone a very long time and he is not coming back. Like he must be dead by as far as the public opinion is this didn't work. Like, he has failed us. They put their faith in him to come back and tell them what to do, what God wants, where to go, and how to make this better so that we can get where we need to go so things can finally be good. And the longer it takes, the more those what-ifs and questions begin to capture their heart. Now, as human beings, we don't stay in this place of uncertainty very well. It's really tough for us. It, and it's pretty universal. Some of us like love uncertainty, but when you look at it in your as you actually live your life, like this becomes hard for us. And so what ends up happening here is they I don't like sitting in this, and so rather than being like, guys, let's just hold out. Let's wait it out for a pretty unreal, like a reasonable amount of time. Like Moses went up the mountain. There can only be so much food on that mountain. If he's not alive in like nine months, we should have a conversation. Do you know, I don't know, something like that. But they don't. They sit in the uncertainty of all of this, and it finally gets to them, and they go, we need another leader. We need somebody else who's going to solve this. We need somebody else who's going to take us the mile. Aaron, Moses' brother, get over here. And they boss him around get over here. We need you. Up. That's all my Bible says, which is so weird. I've read it over and over again going like, surely it can't just be up. And it is. It's just get up and get over here. We need you. Verse 32, verse 2 through, or chapter 32, verses 2 through 4. Here's Aaron's response. Aaron said to them, okay, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. Bring them to me. And so all the people took off all the rings of gold that were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and he made a golden calf. And then all the people, notice it says, and they said, not he said, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is one of the most weird moments for me when I read this. And it's just because you have these people sitting in all this uncertainty, and it's like, okay, so what are you going to do? Well, we need Aaron to lead us. Okay, well, what do you want Aaron to do? Let's make God. It's strange, isn't it? There's just a part for me, I, and like, I don't know, let's say you were really disillusioned with religion, and so, or, or something that you, you'd walk through, and so you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to make up my own religion and follow it, and you just did. There's a part of you that wouldn't you still be standing there being like, but I kind of made this? So, like, am I God? I don't know. It's just this weird thing, but they do it. And I've always thought that's crazy, but the honesty of it is it's not really that crazy. See, it's hard to wrap my mind around how all of these rational people stood at the base of this mountain. and are like, we need you to make gold out of our earrings and then we'll worship what we used to wear. And it's gonna lead us and guide us because it's better. It's super strange, but if we're really honest, I think we'll see it. It's not so far-fetched in our lives as we might think. You see, it's in the times that we feel the greatest measures of uncertainty that we are simultaneously tempted in the greatest measure to turn to idolatry to secure us. And it's not because you're dumb or I'm dumb or we're crazy. It's because there's this human piece to us where the world feels very big and very difficult sometimes and in those moments where life just feels crazy, we will reach for any life preserver thrown our way just to hold on to that thing, because it's scary to be out there, because it's, it's nerve-wracking and a little bit terrifying. A few weeks ago, in a message on Sunday, Glenn gave a definition for idolatry, and I actually want to repeat that and use that today, because I heard it, and I was like, yeah, that. A lot of times we think of this as either overly complicated or something, and I thought, no, this is really simple, and it's true. He said, idolatry is assigning power to something that only belongs to God. That's what it is. We look and be like, no, it's making an image. Well, sure, it was in that case. But, but what idolatry is at its, at its biggest of senses, it's assigning power to something that only belongs to God. Like looking to a golden calf to go before you and guide your life, right? Assigning power to it. Like looking to a government to change the hearts of people in the world, which only God can do. Like, I look at sometimes relationships and marriage, like an institution, it gets referred to and thought of that way. Like looking to a romantic partner to be the one good thing in this life that completes you and makes you feel a sense of wholeness. That's a lot of pressure to put on another individual if you've ever been there. Like looking to a job to give your life a sense of purpose and meaning and make all of this worth it. Like looking to friendships or to family to essentially declare you as worthy and valuable and needing them to affirm that and hold that or it doesn't exist like looking to a church to make you feel right so that you never have to question with whether you are wrong. There's these things that we assign power to that really only God can carry. This is what idolatry is. So sometimes we make a golden calf and other times we choose to focus on something else of our own making and because we're floundering, because things feel crazy, because it's uncertain, we'll grab a hold of anything that's there and cling to it with everything in us. And the problem with this is, over time, as history and year by year begins to stack, these things crumble under the weight that we place upon them because they were never meant to carry our existence in this way. They're never big enough to carry a life. And so what you see is time and time again great faith and hope placed on something bound to be left in disappointment. And it just starts to crumble and becomes so incredibly difficult as the floor just crumbles out beneath some of these moments. You know, 20 years ago, I went hiking um, with a group of friends. So the reason I was, it was in Sabino Canyon, went way back into the the canyon, we're gonna have a picnic. The reason we were there is I had this this friend uh, who, he's a guy and he really wanted to date this girl. So he invites this girl, he's super nervous. And he's like, can you just come with and like we can all hike together and it'll be great. And so I'm there to help give him like a sense of courage that this is gonna be fine. And he invites one of her friends and she and I both know we're just like third wheels on this awkward encounter the whole time. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of a deal. So we go hiking down into Sabino Canyon. We go way down in there and we're having a good time and and we have a picnic and we're just sitting there and it's so awkward at some points. It's super awkward at some points because these two just won't admit why they're there even though everybody knows, like we've orchestrated this whole thing for why they're there, but they won't tell each other and I'm not good at sitting in those kinds of tension. Like there's a moment for me there where I would just be like, you know this is weird, right? Like, are you two gonna like work this out? You want me to go for a walk? Like, I would say that. I know that's not gonna be super helpful. They'll be embarrassed. So I, I just am bored and I go, why don't we climb the canyon walls? Anyone wanna climb the canyon? I'm just looking for anything to do to get off the blanket to go Some. Do you know what I mean? And so my fr- I didn't realize my friend was gonna look at this and think this is an opportunity for me to impress her. He puts on this super cocky voice and he's like, I love climbing, let's do it. And I'm like, that was weird. And I shouldn't trust this, but I did. So we start to climb the canyon wall. This isn't—I'm not a rock climber. This isn't like a place that people scout out like, oh, that's a great climbing spot. It was just in front of us, and I was like, let's do anything but what's happening. Let's go there. So we start to climb up this. Now when we start, it's this like pretty firm, secure rock, you know, type of stuff that you can climb up. A lot of it's vertical. Then you'd have like a little lip or a ledge and then be a little bit more vertical. And so we climb up this thing. We get about 20 or 30 feet up in the air, and then like happens in Arizona, the rock changes into this sedimentary, layered, crumbly type of rock that's not meant for rock climbing, because it breaks sometimes, and it just doesn't feel good or right. And so we get to this spot, and I look up, and I'm like, "That doesn't feel like it's gonna work." And we're on this little tiny ledge, you know, just kind of like this on the wall. And then I look down, and it's that moment where I finally realize I don't know how to climb down that. This is, I'm gonna fall. Like this isn't gonna work. So. We just need to figure out how to get up out of this and circle back and go you know, get everybody else and all this stuff. And so I don't know what to do. My friend doesn't know what to do. We're on this little ledge and I look over about 15 feet, 20 feet down on this ledge. If we just kind of shimmy along the wall, the rock changes. There's a place where I can even sit right there and then we can keep climbing up and make our way out of this thing. So I go first. I'm six foot five. My friend is five foot four, which matters in this particular story. So I go and I'm inching my way along the ledge, and there's one spot where I have to reach a little further than I would normally want to, but it's okay, because I could reach it, and and I make my way over there, and I sit down in that place that I was telling you, you could just sit down at, and I wait for my friend to kind of manage working that along to get to where we are. Now, he comes to the same place, and his leg won't reach it quite the same way, and so what he's gotta do is kind of push off and really put some weight on there, and the moment he does that, the ledge that he's on breaks. It just crumbles out from underneath his feet. And all of a sudden, I watch this scene where he is now clawing at rock, like trying to stop himself, and his feet are dug in as they're just now skidding, and what's going to happen is he's going to go backwards, and that's not going to go well for his life, right? So he's, he's starting to do this, and as he goes to start to fall, there's this little plant, like this tiniest of bushes, growing straight out of the canyon wall, like some weird Moment and he just reaches up and he grabs a hold of this tiny plant as he's sliding down. And now he's hanging by both hands to this tiny plant and he's screaming his head off. And he's yelling, Help! And he's yelling, No! And he's just freaking out. And I look at him and I go, Okay. Don't worry, stay calm, which is a stupid thing. But it's because if he kicks too hard, it's just a little plant. Like this plant can't hold his weight. Like he's just lucky right now. And so I start inching my way along the wall and I get back to where I'm really close to him. And I go, you gotta just reach out and grab my hands. Like, you know, grab my wrist, I'll grab your wrist and I'll pull you up. There's a place for you to put your foot and we'll just get you back up on this ledge. And he looks at me and he says what I think is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He says, no, and he just holds the plant which has no prayer of of hold. Like this is going to break. Like every second to me, I'm like, all right, we're on borrowed time here. Do you know what I mean? Like this is not gonna work but he won't let go of it. You know, it's fascinating in that moment. There are moments in our lives where fear overtakes us, and all we've got is the secure thing that we're clinging to, even if it can't hold us, even if it's not actually secure, even if it won't take us the mile. But we're, at least we're holding something. The idea of letting go of one of your hands and reaching out to grab anything else feels terrifying. And so we will blindly cling to the thing that's gonna fall out of the wall and leave us tumbling, the thing that will crumble away, then let go. And so I stop, and finally I realize I need to plant both of my feet and I reach one of my hands around a rock and grab a hold of like this hold there and I yell at him to try to get his attention I say look at me look at my feet they're anchored on this rock it's solid like look it's not going anywhere look at my arm I've got this like I've got a secure hold on this now reach up and grab my wrist and in a split second he reaches up and grabs my wrist swings his leg up and I pull him back up and we inch our way along and then he sits and just shakes for like a half an hour in a sheer panic because he was terrified. You're like, why are you sharing this story? And some of you are like, I'm so scared right now. (laughs) Here's why, I think that story is a profound metaphor for what I see happening around me all the time right now. And what I feel sometimes even in me We started out in this place where we're like, this is how the world is, and this is how things are supposed to work, and this is what you can trust, and so we put our feet on what felt like solid ground, and then as time has gone by, as years have gone by, layer by layer, it's like it's changed, and suddenly we find ourselves where the footing doesn't feel like it did in the beginning, and it just feels a little bit more suspect, and a little bit more crumbly, and we find ourselves standing upon that, resting the full weight of our lives on that, and then it starts to break. And the disillusionment in that moment and the frustration in that moment is both scary and angering and confusing all at the same time, and it leaves us reaching and stretching to hold on to anything that's willing to offer a chance to hold us. And we hold that thing, whether it can hold us or not. We put our faith in things that we're never meant to deliver. We put our faith in stuff that we've created or other moments like this where we're anchoring our lives to this, and we're just blindly holding on to this thing in hopes that this doesn't drop us just like everything else has done. When the truth is, there's this hand that's outstretched to you that created all of this, that you didn't make, that I didn't make, that isn't a system of our own making, but that is ultimately the God of the universe seeking to have actual relationship with you. The world can't anchor you the way Jesus Christ can. God is the only thing that is big enough to hold the very weight of your existence as you walk through the complexity of this world world that is your life. That's not me saying he's going to take it all away and make it all better. It's saying there is a kind of security and a love that does not fail. There is a kind of, of anchor in Christ who is holding you with the same tenacity that my friend was gripping that plant. And what happens right now in our culture is we have so many people that are just nervous and scared and feel like everything is a mess and they've somehow held on to this plant and they need somebody to reach out and actually say, take my hand. And you know what? They're not going to take it because if 70 years have taught us anything, it's that I can't trust the hand that's reaching out to me to tell me to take the thing. What we have to do is we have to stop and ground our own feet. Stop and ground our own arms and our own hands and wrap those around Jesus just as he already has those very things wrapped around us. And when we show an honest and authentic life lived in the very love of God that's anchored in who he is, people may just for the first time in a long time open the trust in their hearts back up to allow Christ to change them and grab a hold of the very same thing. See, we could look at the future right now, and we could go, man, this is just a crazy place. The institutions are eroding. Life is getting difficult, and it's going to be a tough year. Glad you came to church. Mazel tov. Have a nice day. It is in these moments that the world needs a church, and not because of the institutional model that a church seems to offer, although there's good and benefits and things for I get all of that just like all the other things. I get all of that. It's not what it needs. What it needs is something that genuinely wants to reach into the human heart and transform us in ways that other things around us keep failing and keep dropping. Jesus loves you, not because of anything that you have to offer him, not because you are trying to overcome something and you just, he loves you because he just wants to make it better. He loves you because you are you. He loves you because he created you. He absolutely and utterly loves you. And that thing will hold you, friends, in ways that even the person you love the most in your life cannot. And that's not a diminishment of who they are. It's just only God is big enough to hold our lives for the long haul amidst all the complexity that we walk through. And by the way, when you get that order right, it makes relationships a lot easier. It's this moment, as I look into August, and I say, so what's in front of us at a church? It's a chance to be the authentic love of Christ. With our feet anchored and our hand held, and we look and people are saying, but I don't trust anything, and we go, it's okay, you're in good company. (laughs) So let's explore something real, and you're allowed to not trust it for as long as you wanna not trust it, you've earned that. We've got lots of good reasons for you not to trust lots of things. And yet, and yet there's a love here that sustains, and yet there's something in my life that I can't let go of, because it's not letting go of me. Do you see, this becomes a profound answer to exactly where we're at. We're gonna move into a season where people are gonna keep reaching for institutions, causes, and different things to try to hold the weight of their existence. Those aren't all bad things, they just can't hold you. But Jesus can. And so friends, the thing I think I'm asking of you Because amidst all the complexity, amidst all the lack of trust, amidst all the lack of clarity that exists around us, will you just be clear on one thing? Will you let the love of Jesus impact your life, and will you live that same thing out as a gift to the world around you as we fight for authenticity and honesty to give people the best shot they have? And in that case, if that's where we're at here, well, then we are a great church in a great place at a great time in human history to do a very significant thing. And it's to put Jesus on full display and help people anchor their lives amidst the uncertainty they face. I love you guys. And you do this all the time. And I see this in you. And it's this amazing thing to be encouraged by it and to trust and to do these pieces together. And so as doom and gloom as some of these stats have felt and as much as it's felt like complicated and all this stuff today, what I hope you walk away knowing is that there are good things in store and I'm excited of us. Let's just keep our eyes focused on him who holds us. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and we recognize life is weird and complicated and it's hard to figure out where to, what to trust, where to put pull feet down at times, Lord. So many times it just feels like things crumble out from beneath us. And so, Lord, I just pray that you give us wisdom and guidance and encouragement to not be swayed by the loudest voice, Lord, but to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. I pray that that love would anchor us and secure us. Lord, if there's people in this room that are like, I know exactly what it feels like to live in this world right now. It's what my life feels like. God, I just pray your security. I pray your anchoring in that. I pray that they would know the depth and the profound nature of your love for them in a real way, even in this moment right here. And I pray that it would hold them, that it would ground them. amidst the complexities we face. Be with them, Lord. And God, I just ask as we step into the year, give us wisdom, give us trust, lead us forward. We don't want to follow any one person we want to follow you so jesus lead the way and pray these things in your name amen Amen. before you go today if you're new it's awesome to have you Uh, i'd love to meet you i'll be down over here We would just love to shake your hand and and see i got here i don't know but it's just nice to have you and then for for everybody else if if i haven't gotten to shake your hand or me i'll be over there we just would love to it's awesome to have you here Go enjoy that wonderful heat outside, and we will see you shortly. See you guys.